0: Good afternoon. At the start of a new week we call come together we come together to worship our awesome God. Welcome to everyone here, especially the family and guests here to witness the sign and seal of God's Covenant. We also welcome those who are shut in or are away but can join us via live feed. Kazistry has the following announcements. Council has been nominated for the office of elder the following brothers Cam Ikoma, Bernie Fenema, Hank Timmerman, and Peter Tornbleet. Election will take place after the first service, December 17th, 2023, which is next Sunday. Council will meet this Wednesday, December 13th at 7.30 p.m. Our first service today will be led by Pastor Doug Bannerberg from Langley. Welcome to Sardis, Pastor. Good afternoon, yes indeed, rise for the call to worship, brothers and sisters, it's good to be in your midst, and uh, as you see on the screen, God calls us into worship uh, this afternoon with a few verses from Isaiah chapter uh, 52. But the voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice, together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed uh, Jerusalem. Congregation, from where does our help come? Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Receive now the greeting of our God, grace to and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. The faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Amen. Let's respond to that greeting of our Lord by singing to the praise of our God, the hymn Joy to the World. As we worship our God each and every Lord's Day, we enter into conversation uh, with him and we have just sung praises to him and now he speaks to us from out of his word. He speaks to us the words of the 10 Commandments as we find them in Exodus 20. Now he spoke those words a long time ago uh, to the people of God that uh, we call Israel, whom he had delivered from out of Egypt. But he also speaks these words to us in order to remind us how we are to live as his people. His people whom he has redeemed from our own bondage, our own slavery, not to Pharaoh, but to sin and to Satan. And we're grateful that we've been delivered through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we express our thanks to God by following his commandments. And this is what God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this law, and is he who also summarized this law for us uh, when he uh, taught us that the first and the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That there is a second commandment just like it, that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments and therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Having heard God speak to us, let's respond with the singing of Psalm 80, uh, the stanzas 7 and 8. This is a psalm in which Israel of old um, reflects on what God has done for them in the past but also on their own sins and shortcomings which have led them into a new bondage. And so this is a psalm in which they seek God's grace and his hand to once again free them. So Psalm 87 and 8. Derek and Jenna Terpstra have requested the sacrament of holy baptism for their daughter, Riley. And to that end, we will listen to a summary of what the word of God teaches us about the doctrine of baptism. Baptism is the sign or the mark of entry into the Christian church. It is also, as we shall hear, a sign of God's covenant, not only with believers, but also with their children. The doctrine of holy baptism then is summarized As follows, first, we and our children are conceived and born in sin and are therefore by nature children of wrath so that we cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we are born again. This is what the immersion in or sprinkling with water teaches us. It signifies the impurity of our souls so that we may detest ourselves, humble ourselves before God and seek our cleansing and salvation outside of ourselves. Second, baptism signifies and seals to us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. We are therefore baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized into the name of the Father, God the Father testifies and seals to us that he establishes an eternal covenant of grace with us. He adopts us for his children and heirs and promises to provide us with all good and avert all evil or turn it to our benefit. When we are baptized into the name of the Son, God the Son promises us that he washes us in his blood from all our sins and unites us with him in his death and resurrection. Thus we are freed from our sins and accounted righteous before God. When we are baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit assures us by this sacrament that he will dwell in us and make us living members of Christ imparting to us what we have in Christ, namely the cleansing from our sins and the daily renewal of our lives till we shall finally be presented without blemish among the assembly of God's elect in life eternal. Third, since every covenant contains two parts, a promise and an obligation. We are through baptism called and obliged by the Lord to a new obedience. We are to cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to trust him and to love him with our whole heart, soul, and mind and with all our strength. We must not love the world but put off our old nature and lead a God-fearing life. And if we sometimes through weakness fall into sins, uh, we must not despair of God's mercy nor continue in sin for baptism is a seal and trustworthy testimony that we have an eternal covenant with God. Although our children do not understand all this, we may not therefore exclude them from baptism. Just as they share without their knowledge in the condemnation of Adam, so are they without their knowledge received into grace in Christ. For the Lord spoke to Abraham, the father of all believers, and thus also speaks to us and our children, saying, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you. Throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Peter also testifies to this when he says, For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Therefore, in the Old Dispensation, or the Old Testament, God commanded that infants be circumcised. This circumcision was a seal of the covenant and of the righteousness of faith. Christ also took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. In the New new Dispensation, or New Testament, uh, baptism has replaced circumcision. Uh, Therefore, infants must be baptized as heirs of the kingdom of God and of his covenant, and as they grow up, their parents have the duty to instruct them in these things. In order that we may now administer this holy sacrament of God to his glory for our comfort and to the upbuilding of the congregation, let us call upon his holy name in prayer. Almighty, eternal God, in your righteous judgment, you punished the unbelieving and unrepentant world with the flood, but in your great mercy saved and protected the believer Noah and his family. You drowned the obstinate Pharaoh and all his host in the Red Sea, but led your people Israel through the midst of the sea on dry ground, by which baptism was signified. We therefore pray that you, in your infinite mercy, will graciously look upon this, your child, and incorporate Riley by your Holy Spirit into your Son, Jesus Christ, so that she may be buried with him by baptism into death and raised with him to walk in newness of life. We pray that she, following him day by day, may joyfully bear her cross and cleave to him in true faith, firm hope, and ardent love. Grant that she comforted in you may leave this life, which is no more than a constant death, and at the last day may appear without terror before the judgment seat of Christ your Son. All this we ask through him, our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit, one only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. Derek and Jenna, I invite you to bring your daughter forward. Beloved in Christ the Lord, you have heard that baptism is an ordinance of the Lord our God to seal to us and our children his covenant. We must therefore use this sacrament for that purpose and not out of custom or superstition. That it may be clear then that you desire baptism for the right purpose, you are to answer sincerely the following questions. First, do you confess that our children, though conceived and born in sin, therefore subject to all sorts of misery, even to condemnation, are sanctified, are set apart in Christ, and thus as members of his church ought to be baptized? Second, do you confess that the doctrine of the Old and New Testament? Summarized in the confessions and taught here in this Christian church, is the true and complete doctrine of salvation? And third, do you promise as father and mother to instruct your child in this doctrine as soon as she is able to understand and to have her instructed therein to the utmost of your power? Uh, Derek, what is your answer? Jenna, what is your answer? Please present Riley. O'Reilly Shea Terpstra, I baptize you into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If you're able, I invite you to stand. We're gonna sing together hymn number 56. Let's once again come to the Lord our God in a prayer of thanksgiving. We're also gonna seek his blessing as we uh, continue to worship him this afternoon. Almighty merciful God and Father, we thank and we praise you that you have forgiven us and our children all our sins through the blood of your beloved son, Jesus Christ. You received us through your Holy Spirit as members of your only begotten son and so adopted us to be your children. You have sealed and confirmed this to us by holy baptism. We pray through your beloved Son that you will always govern this child by your Holy Spirit, that Riley may be nurtured in the Christian faith and in godliness, and may grow and increase in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant that she thus may acknowledge your fatherly goodness and mercy which you have shown to her and to us all. May she live in all righteousness under our only teacher, King and High Priest, Jesus Christ, and valiantly fight against and overcome sin, the devil, and his whole dominion. May she forever praise and magnify you and your son, Jesus Christ, together with the Holy Spirit, the one, only true God. May Derek and Jenna, who have promised this day to instruct Riley in the gospel of salvation, with its truths about you, Father, Son, and Spirit, also receive all that they need. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would equip them as parents and encourage them in their task. Father, we pray for all parents and that amid all the joys and the sorrows that come with being parents, the eyes of every parent would be turned to you who is the helper of your people. Father, we also thank you that on the second Sunday of Advent we can experience the joy that comes with remembering that the Lord Jesus has come and we can experience that hope and longing that he will come again. And as we live in between the times of his comings, we pray that you would sustain each one of us in the faith, hope, and love that are in Christ Jesus our Lord. We also pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us with joy in God and what he is doing in this world as he continues to gather a people for himself from out of every tribe and tongue and nation. Bless us, Holy Spirit, as we now open the Bible together So that what we know not, you would teach us. What we have not, you would give us. And what we are not, you would make us through Christ our Lord. Amen. I invite you to take your Bibles as we turn in Holy Scripture this afternoon to Paul's uh, first uh, letter to the Thessalonians. Thessalonica was a city, an ancient city in Greece. And Paul had established a church of Jesus there and he is writing to them in this first epistle to the Thessalonians. We're going to begin reading in the second chapter at the 17th verse. And then we'll read through to the end of chapter 3. And God's word as follows. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father of the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of God. May he bless it in our hearing this afternoon. I'm going to give particular attention uh, to the verses uh, 17 through 20 at the end there of chapter uh, 2. Beloved in the Lord Jesus, it's a simple three-letter word that's very noticeable at this time of year. Came home a few weeks ago, and suddenly the family room had been redecorated. And uh, this word that has just but three letters was all over, it seemed, the family room. Uh, It's part of our Christmas decor. It's part of our uh, Christmas songs. And the word is joy. You don't have to go very far in this month of December to find that word joy, to hear that word joy. Well, what is joy? What is joy? It's what Derek and Jenna experienced uh, when their daughter was born I presume you experienced a few other things, particularly you, Jenna. Uh, But um, whatever pain was experienced, whatever anxiety was experienced, whatever other things were experienced in that moment of the birth of a child, all of those other things are forgotten. And there is just this sustained uh, moment of joy. Joy is a feeling. Joy is an emotion. It's an emotion that we sometimes confuse with other emotions, we sometimes confuse joy with happiness or with uh, pleasure. Um, The Christian author, uh, C.S. Lewis, who maybe some of you know because of the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, wrote a book called Surprised by Joy. And in that book, uh, one of the things he said was that one second of joy is worth uh, 12 hours of pleasure. One second of joy. It's worth 12 hours of pleasure. The experience of joy, that feeling of joy, is often then attached to particular moments, like the birth of a child, like the baptism of a child. It's a moment of great joy. What we just witnessed, and I hope you experienced in your heart, uh, a measure of joy with these uh, parents. There's other occasions that Um, lead to your experiencing joy. And I'm sure you can, as I'm talking about the experience of joy, I'm sure you can think of moments in your own life, whether past or more recently, where you have experienced uh, that thing we call joy. Joy is a strong emotion. Um, It's an emotion that often uh, expresses itself in song and in celebration. And so we began the service that way this afternoon, singing joy uh, to the world. And yet joy is more than a strong emotion associated with a a particular event or moment in life, something that expresses itself in song and celebration. There's there's more to joy. And we begin to notice that uh, when we look, for instance, at Galatians 5.22, as I was walking to the back room where we hide out before we come out the door, um, there by one of the nurseries, you know, I saw this sign, the fruit of the Spirit, is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, and I hope I got them all and I got them in the right order. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and then Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is joy. It's a list of virtues that are to mark the life of each and every Christian. And what that means is that joy is not only an emotion that we associate with a particular moment, but joy actually is an enduring emotion. It is an enduring emotion because it is associated with being in relationship with God and being in relationship with the people of God. To say it this way, in life there are any number of sparks of joy. Today is one of those sparks, as we witness the baptism. Any number of sparks of joy in life. But as a Christian virtue, as the fruit of the Spirit, Joy is a fire that burns continuously. I'm gonna turn back to C.S. Lewis and his book Surprised by Joy. You may have read it, you may have not. It's a book that recounts his conversion to Christianity. And he frames his conversion to Christianity as a search for joy. And maybe there are some of you here that can identify with that or maybe you're searching yourself for joy. And as he comes to the end of his book, uh, Lewis writes something that's very surprising, at least to us as we read. He writes this about the subject of joy. He says, to tell you the truth, the subject has lost nearly all interest for me since I became a Christian. the subject, has lost nearly all interest for me since I became a Christian. Why, Why is that true for him? And this is his answer. He realized that joy was not the object of his searching. He realized that joy was the result of his search. When he came to faith in Jesus Christ, he no longer needed to search for joy. He had found joy. He had found enduring joy. He had found what the psalmist describes in Psalm 1611, where he says this, In your presence, O God, there is fullness of joy. But this enduring joy is not only a result of being in relationship with God, it is also a result of being in relationship with his people. And I know that might surprise some of you because the first thing that comes to your mind as you think about other people, maybe other people in this church, is that they are an enduring joy to you. But this is what we're gonna talk about this afternoon. Because just as God experiences enduring joy in his people, and I'll direct you to Zephaniah three seventeen, where God says exactly that, where God does exactly that, where he rejoices over his people, just as God has enduring joy in his people. So by the work of the Holy Spirit, his people have enduring joy in one another. That's the message this afternoon, enduring joy because the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And when you look at all those other things written on the wall, back in the hallway, love and joy and peace and so on, you discover that they're all ultimately about relationships with one another as Christians. They have to do with being in relationship with each other and how we live in relationship with one another. It all begins with love. If you don't experience joy in one another, I suspect that maybe you don't love one another. It all begins with love, because when you have love for one another, then you will also have joy in and with one another. And it's not that spark of joy, but it is that enduring joy. And 1 Thessalonians two seventeen through 20. He's just gonna help us frame that conversation on enduring joy. The text begins with Paul, who's the apostle, who's the founder of the church in Thessalonica. Begins with, with Paul reflecting on how he and two of his coworkers, man by the name of Silas, man by the name of Timothy, have been torn away from this church. You can read about this moment of being torn away from each other in Acts chapter 17. It had to do with persecution, and it had to do with affliction. And what is intriguing is as Paul describes this unwanted separation between them and the members of that Christian church, he uses a word that has to do with the breaking apart of a family, the unwanted breaking apart of a family. That's what that picture is when he says, you know, we were torn away from you. It's a family that has been torn apart by circumstances beyond their control. We didn't read it earlier in chapter two, but I thought I'd save it for for now. Earlier in chapter two, Paul talks about uh, their relationship with this church in terms of Parental language, verse 7 of chapter 2, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Thought that might be fitting for Jenna this afternoon to gently take care of Riley. But then it goes on in chapter 2, verse 11 For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Well you just you just heard uh, Derek make a a promise um, as a dad to do to do just what Paul's talking about to encourage and to exhort and to help Riley as she grows that she might embrace the promises of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And so there is here this this family picture that is laid over the relationship between Paul, Silas, Timothy, and the church. and now the family's been broken apart. Circumstances beyond their control have, have caused, as it were, the parents and the children to be separated. I know you don't wanna think about those kinds of things, but sometimes it happens, right? That something happens in life, and, and, and it doesn't have to be forever. I mean, just for a time, because that's what we're talking about here. For a time, you know, mom or dad is out of the picture That's what Paul is bringing to their minds as he writes to them. And he's mentioning this because the situation is ongoing. The separation, the unwanted separation is ongoing. Torn away. And there's so far been no coming back together. And there's been a lot of effort on the Paul of on the part of Paul, to get back together. Despite his best efforts, despite his repeated efforts, they just haven't been able to get back to Thessalonica. But since we were torn away from you, brothers and sisters, for a short time in person, not in heart, his heart was never separated, just his person, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. We wanted, we really wanted to get back together with you We wanted to come to you, I Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. Paul feels behind this inability to reconnect with this local church. He he feels that Satan is at work. You get the sense almost that Paul is concerned that these new Christians have begun to doubt how much Paul actually loved them. That maybe he was that father who abandons his children. Maybe there were some outside voices that were looking to damage the relationship between Paul and, and these Christians. And these outside voices are telling these brothers and these sisters in Thessalonica, You've been abandoned by your spiritual mother and your spiritual father. It would explain how emotional Paul is here in our text. How passionately he writes again and again, I tried to get to you. You need to believe me. I tried, but Satan hindered us. And then to confirm just how passionately he feels about them, we come to the words of the verses 19 and 20 in our text. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Our expression is, you are my pride and joy. Many of you would be familiar with the expression, my pride and joy. Sometimes it wanders from its roots and we talk about our car or our truck or our motorcycle and we say it's my pride and joy. But its roots are in the family. Its roots are in the relationship of parents and child. It's an expression that belongs to parents of their children. There are pride and joy. It was Sir Walter Scott in his um, poem, Rokeby, that introduced, at least in the English language, this to us when he described children as a mother's pride and a father's joy. But Sir Walter Scott was not being particularly original. Already the Apostle Paul had spoken about his spiritual children as his pride and his joy. Who, he asks, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus? That is coming. Is it not you? You notice the reference here to our Lord Jesus and his coming, and that's fitting. We're in the season of what the Christian church calls Advent. It's a season that um, refers to the coming and waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Advent means coming. So we, we talk about Advent in the church, we're talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus. He came once as a little baby, and he's coming again as the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. And he's gonna sit on his throne at his coming and he's gonna be surrounded by all of his followers, by every Christian, and what Paul pictures here as he he imagines the Lord Jesus sitting on his throne, surrounded by all of his followers, he, he pictures his spiritual children from Thessalonica in the crowd and he pictures himself talking with the Lord Jesus And as he talks to the Lord Jesus, he points to the the brothers and sisters from Thessalonica and he says, Lord Jesus, they're my pride and they're my joy. Paul is doing as much as he can to let these Christians know how much he loves them and how hard he's been trying to get back to be with them. Paul wants to remove all doubt as to the possibility that Paul is staying away because he actually doesn't love them that much. And Paul draws, paints this moving scene of Jesus and saying to Jesus, they're my pride and joy. What is our pride and joy? Is it not you? I love that question. Is it not you? Could you ever doubt that it is you? you of course says paul it's it's you and he confirms that answer when he says in the 20th verse for you are our glory and joy i want you to notice how he goes from future to present right there you will be our pride and joy at the coming of our lord jesus for you are already our pride and joy now. He will say it a little again and a little later again in chapter three, verse nine, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy we, we feel, presently feel for your sake before our God. The joy that Paul pictures in terms of the future is a joy that he feels in the present. And it leads to the question, why does Paul feel joy already now for these brothers and these sisters in Christ? Why are they his joy and his pride already now? Well, it's because they received the gospel the good news of Jesus that Paul preached to them. But not only did they receive that word with faith, that is, with a believing heart, but they received that word in the middle of much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And not only did they receive the, the word of Christ in faith with the joy of the Holy Spirit in the midst of much affliction, but they continue to stand fast in the Lord as the affliction is ongoing. As you read through this book, and I hope you picked it up as we read this one section together, there's a dominant theme about the circumstances in which these Christians and in which Paul, Silas, and Timothy are are living. And, And the common thing is affliction. The common thing is persecution precisely because they're believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Precisely because they confess Confess faith in Christ. And the fact that these people have come to faith in Jesus and that they continue to believe in Jesus even amid much persecution is what leads Paul to describe them as his pride and joy. Now, it's true that as a spiritual father, his joy is connected in part to the fact that God used him to bring them faith in the Lord Jesus, that he was an instrument for their being born again. But his joy is more than a father's role in their spiritual birth. It is the joy of a father who now is watching from a distance. And he sees his children growing and maturing in the Lord Jesus. And as he watches them from a distance, because by the way, we read it, he couldn't get there, he was hindered. So finally he said to Timothy, Timothy, please go, check up on them, see how they're doing, reassure them that we love them. And Timothy comes and brings him a good report and then Paul writes this letter. It's this, this joy As he's watching, as he's observing his spiritual children grow. Well, that's the joy in that long list of virtues we call the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. For as we walk with the Spirit, as we are sensitive to the presence of the Spirit in ourselves and in other people, the Holy Spirit is at work to produce this particular fruit in us. He produces in us joy over each other's growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is joy in relationship with each other because what is going on in this church is that each of you gets a front row seat into what God is doing in the life of the others joy as you watch each other grow and mature in Christ. I know you haven't been around that long as a local church. But the longer you're around, the more you see that not only do little children get baptized, but they grow. And by the grace of God, they will Embrace the Lord Jesus Christ with a a believing heart. There's great joy in that. Joy as you see a fellow believer remain steadfast in the Lord, even despite difficult circumstances that they're experiencing. Joy as you hear about someone's love for the Lord amid the ups and the downs of their life. A joy that is not just felt, but a joy that is expressed a joy that is celebrated, a joy that leads you to say to someone else in this church and maybe to the whole church, you are my joy. You know, as I was working through this passage, it really struck me that I don't think I say this often enough about my own church You are my joy. You are my pride. I don't think I say it enough about other Christians. Maybe you, maybe you do, but maybe today you're being challenged too. That you would look at one another. Maybe beginning with your spouse or your children, but certainly with others in this in this church. And you would look at them and you you would. Look at what God is doing in their lives, and and you would feel joy, and you would celebrate, and you would share and say, You are my pride, and you are my joy. Pride, joy, can never be contained within the human heart. If you take pride in someone or something, if you have joy over someone or something in your life, the chances are you're not going to just sit there and be quiet. The chances are you're going to talk. And you're going to sing, and you're going to share, and you're going to celebrate. Joy in the church must come to expression as you celebrate what God is doing in each other's hearts and lives. And God is never done working in the hearts and lives of his children. And so your joy in one another never just reaches an end in this life. This side of eternity, your joy in one another is never going to be full, never going to be complete because this Christian virtue of joy is informed by one's sense of what is ultimate. Joy directs our thoughts. Joy directs our feelings. Joy directs our actions toward what God intends. Because what God intends is ultimate. Ultimate as it concerns our relationship with Him. Ultimate as it concerns our relationship with each other. And what is ultimate as it concerns our relationship with each other and with Him is that moment when we will stand together among the assembly of God's elect in life eternal without blemish and without spot. We will stand there blameless and perfect before the Lord Jesus by virtue not of what we have done but by virtue of his precious blood shed on Calvary's cross for us. There our joy will be full. Our joy will be complete. Our joy in God will be full. Our joy in one another will be full. But remember, if that is going to be true of the future, it can only be true if we are each other's one, one another's joy here and now. It makes no sense to say with Paul, "You are our hope, and our joy, and our crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at His coming," and not say with Paul, "For you are already now our glory." and our joy and yet here's the reality that sometimes this joy in and with one another is just missing. Why is it that sometimes this joy is missing? Because you, because I, are simply forgetting to look and to see what God is doing in the lives of others. You're focused on yourself. And when you're focused on yourself, you miss out on the joy because you see selfishness is an enemy of joy. But sometimes joy is missing because you've been taught to be suspicious of joy. Life, including the Christian life, is a serious business, or so you've been told. You must be careful with your emotions, you've been told. Better to be a Stoic and have your mind rule your emotions. But being a Stoic is an enemy of joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Let joy be present as a virtue in your life as a Christian. And insofar as you play a role in each other's growth, even if it's just that you have a seat and watch each other's growth, don't be afraid to say to one another, you are my pride and my joy. And then at the coming of the Lord Jesus, you'll be more than uh, prepared, more than willing uh, to say to the Lord Jesus of one another, they're my pride and my joy. Indeed, may the Spirit of God continue to fill each one of our hearts with enduring joy both in him and in each other. Amen. God has spoken to us. We're going to speak to God. I invite you to stand if you're able. We're going to sing a song of joy. Psalm 96, the stanzas 1, 7, and 8. let us come to our God in prayer. Our gracious God, our loving Father and the Lord Jesus, thank you for your Holy Spirit who fills our hearts with joy in you so that we can shout forth our gladness, that we can sing to you, O Lord, with exultation. That we can express our joy in you now and express our joy at the prospect of our Lord's coming. Father, if there be anyone here who doesn't yet know that joy, then may your spirit this day spark within them the desire for this joy. That the search for joy may turn into the realization that joy is the result of finding you. And we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you are doing in the lives of your people in this church. We thank you for the fruit of enduring joy, not only in you, but also in one another. Holy Spirit, help this church to walk with you so that they bear this fruit of joy. And Father, when the joy goes missing, we pray for the grace of the Lord Jesus and the renewing work of the Holy Spirit so that seeing what you are doing in your church, we can say of each other, you are my pride and joy. Help us to exalt over each other with loud singing, even as in Christ. You rejoice over us with gladness. Uh, Father, we're glad to have received so many blessings from your hand, and so we're also glad in this service to express our joy in each other by also giving of our financial gifts to assist those who may be experiencing need at this time. Uh, Father, we ask that you would continue to bless us in the remainder of, of this day And we pray that you would also show your grace and fill our brother with your spirit as he leads us a little later in our second service our father we bring these things to you asking you to hear us not for our sake but for the sake of christ who is our joy amen The offering in this worship service is for the ministry of mercy as carried out by the deacons of this church after the deacons have gathered our financial gifts. Then you're invited to stand if you're able and we're gonna sing uh, to the praise of our God from hymn number six. Mm -hmm. Receive now the Lord's blessing and experience his peace in the rest of this day. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.
1: We working today? Awesome, Derek and Jenna, you are our pride and joy. It, what a blessing it is to be able to witness the the baptism of little Riley. Um, it's it's been a seems like a weekly tradition lately that we get to baptize a baby here, um, but every time it's so wonderful to witness, um, and and we get to experience joy once again. Uh, Consistory. Uh, it's our custom to to give a book with baptism, and this is this is your first baby, and it's uh, it's a big change, and and we we as parents uh, rely on our Lord so so much for this, and so we we give a book to help you with your prayer, um, to ensure that your relationship with with Christ is is leading the way in your relationship with Riley, and and so on behalf of Consistory. Congratulations! Uh, you are our pride and joy once again, and uh, yeah, we look forward to watching you raise your daughter in in his knowledge. Congrats. <laughs>